Good morning. So good to see all of you. As Condo said a little bit earlier, welcome to Mission Point Community Church, especially those of you who are with us for the first time. Such a privilege to have you with us here this morning. Uh, my name is Matt, and I serve as one of the pastors here, and uh, just so excited to be together to, this morning. And how great is it to, to worship a Savior who has paid it all? And we find ourselves free indeed through him. Such uh, just powerful things. So I trust that already this morning, uh, Jesus is meeting you in significant ways and looking forward to continuing uh, to just dial into what the Spirit has for us as we open God's word this morning. Well, we are continuing in a series that we are calling Jesus Uncensored. Jesus Uncensored, what we wish he hadn't said. And uh, I don't know about you, but um, maybe you grew up in a church, in, in a context, in a Sunday school environment, and uh, your picture, your image of Jesus is just kind of this just fuzzy, <clears throat> uh, cuddly, flannel graph, you know, sort of Jesus. Uh, he's got blonde hair, blue eyes, just a, a beauty pageant, blue sash across his chest. Somehow he's Swedish, and he is... Super nice, and he, and he loves all the little children, and, uh, and, and that, that, is, that is great, and that is, uh, there's some truth, not all, not all that's true, but there is some truth to that and who Jesus is, and in this series, we are looking at maybe some of the other side, a little bit maybe more of the uncomfortable side of some of the things that Jesus has to say. And I think what we find in this, this conversation is that, yes, Jesus in his perfection is absolute 100% grace, but he is also 100% truth. And sometimes that truth is, is hard to listen to, and so we want to be courageous in that. And I found as we've been talking through this series and preparing for it, and in our office, Kondo and I talking, and, and Charlie, our ministry intern, talking, um, you know, we get like really excited and amped up, just kind of like, man, this is amazing, there's so many great things to say. And then there's kind of this moment of like, but who's going to stand on stage and say it? Like, I don't want to talk about that. Do you want to talk? And so we do rock, paper, scissors, and whoever loses has to, no, that's not what happens. But I did fake my death last week so that I wouldn't have to teach and uh, if you weren't here, our ministry intern, Charlie Miller, uh, came up on seriously just barely 24 hours notice uh, to uh, just take the baton from me, and I'm going to explain that in a little bit. But Charlie, thank you, thank you so much. Can we give Charlie a thank you? Just so, so good. Just grateful for him and, and just his graciousness, the way he stepped in, and just excited anytime we can just step in and just see the ways the Lord is raising up the next generation and their gifts and their talents. Well, today we're going to continue on in our discussion. Uh, parents uh, in here with children, I do want you to know that we're going to kind of hover around a sort of PG-13 uh, sort of space today. Um, you know, for context, if, if my fifth grade son didn't just go out to 5.6, uh, I would be okay with him sitting in here for that. But um, maybe, you know, depending on where you come on that, you may want to utilize our children's ministry, uh, Kids Point, or our 5.6 for our fifth and sixth graders um, for that today. But I, I leave that choice up to you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, first book in the New Testament. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or you don't own a Bible, that's okay. We'll put the words up on the screen for you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to stop by the Connection Corner on your way out today 
and say, hey, I'd like to have a Bible, and we will put one in your hands. would love for you to have one as our gift to you. Now, again, in this, uh, in this series and, and in this, this chapter, what we're looking at is Jesus, uh, one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, and it's very early in the beginning of his public ministry. Um, he has kind of gone through, you know, his training, and he's, he's been baptized, and he's gotten some followers, some disciples. He's got a little bit of momentum. He's starting to have that public ministry with some, um, you know, uh, miracles and, and healings and those sort of things. And so religious leaders are starting to kind of take notice of, who is this guy? Who is this new rabbi on the scene? And, and some people are coming like, could this be the Messiah? And so there's a little bit of buzz and energy around him. And so he has this following, and he takes this group of people up to the side of the mountain, and he just opens up these few chapters in Matthew, just this unbelievable sermon. And in it, I believe he just sort of gives kind of the, 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 the opening guidebook, if you will, of what it looks like to live in God's economy, being a part of the kingdom of God, being a citizen of the kingdom of God. And, and in this is where we find some of these harder maybe a little bit controversial thing. So let's start off. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Yikes. You want to get the band to come back out and maybe just sing some songs or, you know, like communion wine with juice? Okay, Got two of those? All right, so, all right, no, we're going we're gonna to dive in bravely on this, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll look for, for backup here in a moment. Okay, so, as I've said before, when we look at stories like these, and really when we look at stories throughout all of Scripture, they, they, they are real stories that have original context. There's original listeners. There, there's a history to them. There's a context to them. And so what we want to do is take a little bit of time and just dive into now verse by verse how is Jesus' audience experiencing this? How are, how are they hearing this? So verse 27, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. You have heard it said. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. True. This would have been a true statement to Jesus' audience. They would have latched onto this. He would have said this and they would have nodded their heads and yes, I have heard that said, and in fact, I've definitely heard that said. As we've talked before, for the first century Jewish people, a huge part of their life, their culture, their religion centered around the Mosaic law, what we find in the first five books of our Old Testament. And in this Mosaic law, there's 613 laws, and as we've talked about, these Jewish students, really kind of elementary age students, they would go through the process of not only reading and learning the law, but memorizing the entire law. And these things would have been discussed and would have been a big part of their family, their traditions, their, their church, temple, gathering. These things were a big deal. And so when Jesus says, like, hey, you've heard it said, you should not commit adultery. They would, yeah, absolutely. In fact, th this is one of the big ones. We, we know it as one of the Ten Commandments, right? 
Have you ever seen the, uh, the you know, Four Dummies books, like when you want to get like a quick education on something you don't really know anything about, you're trying to figure it out, um, like, uh, you know, maybe quick books for dummies, like you're trying to learn. I saw one the other day, Dads for Dummies, um, which was just so great. The, the tagline, what did it say? It said, uh, how to be a hip, cool, calm, and collected 21st century dad. If the tagline sold you, I'm just telling you, you might be in trouble on the hip, cool part, but that's okay. We'll... We'll work it out. But the Ten Commandments, they're kind of like this four dummies concept when it comes to the Mosaic Law. Hey, listen, if you have trouble with the big picture, if you have trouble with the whole thing, these 613 things, here's 10 things, 10 really big ideas. And if you can get your head, your heart, your life around these 10 ideas, then you'll be making steps in the right direction. So for Jesus' audience, they would have quickly recalled Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. The law would have easily connected with the audience. And what we see here is, is a little bit of what Kondo showed us a couple weeks ago when he, when he talked about uh, murder. There's a familiar pattern here. Jesus said the same thing. You've heard it said, don't commit murder. And then he opens up this whole other set of ideas of what it means and for, for anger to be tied to that. And it was just uh, unbelievably brilliant message, and if you haven't heard it, you have to. Talking about a pendulum swing, just, just so good. So we see the same familiar pattern here. Here's a command that you know. Here's something that is familiar to you. Here's something that you have value and respect already. Yeah, I got it. Adultery, bad news. No one wins with adultery. Lose, lose, lose. So for the religious leaders, from their perspective, they think, slam dunk, we've got that. We've got it on lockdown. No adultery. They were totally focused on the command and how it related to the physical act. You've heard it said. Yes, of course, right. What about it? And this is where Jesus opens up the perspective on this law. You see, don't, do not commit adultery. That's the letter of the law. That's the letter of the law. But what Jesus is about to deliver now is the spirit of the law. Like, yes, there is a specific command here. But in this specific command, there's a whole lot more wrapped around it. Verse 28, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the letter of the law tells us do not commit adultery. Do not have sex with another person who is married. But the spirit of the law tells us anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, has already committed the sin. Now the word lustfully translates here, it's, it's actually a, a neutral word and, and it just means to desire or, or to want. To desire or to want. So anyone who looks at a woman with, with a desire or a want, and catch the tense of the verbs here, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if you're checking out someone and there is a sexual wanting or desire in your heart that is outside of God's design of sex between one man and one woman in the context of marriage, you have committed adultery in your heart. So for Jesus' audience, especially the religious leaders who are feeling really good about their adherence of the law, we're, we're nothing like those sinners. 
We, we, we aren't anything like those disgusting, adulterous sinners. Oh my goodness, they, they can't keep their hands to themselves. Like we're over here, we're doing all the right things, but those people, ugh, but not us. I'm not committing adultery. And Jesus would say, well, yeah, right. You aren't physically committing adultery. That's good. But... In the last eight or nine days, uh, Hollywood has been absolutely turned upside down by an article that was published last week in The New Yorker exposing one of the major industry secrets. After 10 months of investigation, they blew the whistle on one of just the most successful, powerful mega producers in Hollywood by the name of Harvey Weinstein. And they, they opened up the fact that not only is he an adulterous man, but a twisted, relentless sexual predator. Terrible, terrible story. And and if you've been paying attention and you've been reading along, as the week has gone on, more and more and more men and women have come forward to expose some of the darkness and some of the lie and some of the secret and the ways in which they have been abused, sexually abused. And not only by Harvey Weinstein, but other men and other women who were in positions of power, who held the keys to an industry and used that power to prey on victims to get what they wanted. So heartbreaking. Truly, truly heartbreaking. I can't even begin for a moment to fathom what that would mean to, to have just your whole, your, your life's work and your passion and the thing that you just want to be about and you are just leaning in and you're giving it your all and you just want a shot. You just want the opportunity for this thing to work. And then you're confronted with people who hold the keys And they offer an opportunity for it to work for you or they take from you. I can't imagine the heartache and the hopelessness and the powerlessness of sitting in that situation. And as I process the story, I find myself thinking like, oh, this is so tragic. It's so, so twisted, so sad. How could anyone ever get to this place? How could anyone ever treat another human being like this? This guy, he is just so messed up. And then as I read and I processed through just some of the the different interviews and the commentaries and some of the, the things that were coming through on social media, I saw a lot of things Like, just what a scumbag. What a pervert. There's a warm place in hell waiting for this guy. And we feel good about our place in life. And we can easily go to these places of, well, at least I'm nothing like those liberal, elite, Hollywood scum who think they can get away with anything. At least I'm nothing like that guy who just threw away his entire life in his marriage with his terrible decisions. I'm nothing like that. And I think if Jesus were standing with us in these conversations, he might say, true, you haven't physically committed adultery. 
But I saw you and the way you looked at that waitress during your lunch meeting the other day. And yeah, you didn't have sex with her, but your mind and your heart were heading towards Fantasy Island real fast. And we might say, whoa, 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 Jesus, Jesus, that, that's not the same thing. That's not the same thing. There's, there's, no, there's no way you can compare that to, to this disgusting filth. And Jesus may say, but to you it's not the same thing. You may feel like it's not the same thing. You have a way of looking at sin and ranking it and classifying it a certain way. But to me, I don't see it any different. Sin is sin. My father sees it the same. And I gave up my life. I paid it all for all the sins. The ones you would consider little the ones you would consider big. I died for all of them. And for us to justify our behavior and our sin with, yeah, but I didn't actually commit adultery. My friends, that is just such a slippery slope. Such a dangerous place for us to try and stand with any level of confidence because the horrifying truth is, if we are honest with each other, we are always just a few steps away from crossing that line, from hanging out and messing around in the spirit of the law, and crossing that line into breaking the letter of the law. We're only a few steps away, a few poor choices, bad decisions away from being involved in what we consider to be these little, no big deal, I have it all under control sins, to these full-blown, life-altering, our world is falling apart sins. Maybe it's an innocent conversation that's starting to get a little flirtatious. Maybe you're out with, with colleagues and, and you have one drink too many and you're finding your judgment to be a little impaired. Maybe you and your spouse haven't been intimate in a while and you feel like, I deserve this. I'm owed this. Maybe you just started with a few simple text messages, but now your heart is just leaping for that attention. Maybe you're on the road traveling and you're just having this thought of, I'm so far from home. No, no one will ever have to know. And I'm not just talking about physical, active, adulterous sin. I, I'm talking about the lustful thoughts as well. Wherever you find yourself in that pendulum, as Kondo talked about, you're a few steps away, a few poor choices away from just a really dangerous situation. And ladies, I don't think I have to say this, but this applies to you too. Some of you may find yourself in just full-on romance novel mode, just gazing across the room at potential prints sweep you off your feet, charming. And whether it's physical lusting or it's just an emotional connection that you find yourself desiring from a man who is not your husband. It's the same thing as a man who is undressing a woman in his mind. 
It has to do with wanting and desiring something outside of God's intended design. And that's dangerous and it's sinful. And whatever the case, whatever the, the circumstances, whatever the temptation, you are never far from taking steps over that line. And I've heard people in affairs say, I don't know how this happened. I, I, I don't know how I found myself here. And, and I think Jesus would say, I do. It started in your heart. It started in your heart. Don't miss this, this powerful, just amazing thing that Jesus is doing here, this, this grace that he gives where he gives us just an indicator, something for us to protect ourselves, to protect our loved ones, to keep our integrity intact. But I, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I want to look at that for, for a minute. You, you heard me uh, say just, just a few moments ago that I was supposed to teach last week and, and Charlie stepped in uh, for me. Kondo was traveling. It was my turn and yet I had to step out. And um, it's because Wednesday night uh, I woke up, was, was in bed and, and I woke up with just tremendous chest pains. Tingly arms, a little bit of shortness of breath, you know, just some of those scary symptoms that you really don't want to have. And uh, the thing is, is it had happened about two weeks ago. Um, and so I'd already experienced it, but I just kind of wrote it off and thought, uh, is it, whatever, I'm fine. But then it happens again um, Wednesday night. And at this point, it's, it kind of gets a little scary. I kind of go into this full-blown panic, anxiety, you know, moment of like, you know, just trying to breathe and trying to Google and trying to like, you know, figure out my life. And um, Erica, you know, she is sound asleep. And, and so she kind of rolls over because, you know, I'm just stirring and just, you know, going all over the place. And she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I, I think something's wrong. Okay. And she rolls over like back to sleep, out. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm like, you know, all right, Caleb's 10. He can drive. It'll be fine. Like, <laughs> he can take me to the hospital. Oh, man. Um, no, I, I could have gotten her up. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it. Please help. Um, so, no, long story short, I, uh, I, I'm sitting there. I calm down, just big, deep breaths, just praying, and, and everything calms down. Um, and then Thursday, it happens again. And so... I call um, one of my friends, a, a doctor friend, and, and you know, he, he kind of goes through the you know, 30 invasive doctor questions of just my entire life's history and everything that's going on with me. And he says to me, Matt, if you were a patient standing in front of me right now, I would take you to the emergency room. And, and, and you know, the heart, it's a big deal. And... and you could be facing something right now that could just absolutely alter and affect the rest of your life if it doesn't kill you. So, so you, you, really, you really need to get this thing checked out. So, say, okay, so I, I decide I'll, I'll, I'll go. So go to the emergency room and um, 
and Erica comes with me, and, and you know, I, at this point, like, I'm not having, like, an episode. I'm not, there's not, it's not, like, a real scary moment. Like, I can just feel, like, a little bit of tension, and so I just kind of stroll in, you know, and I find out the secret password of the whole emergency room scene, okay? Because I've been to emergency rooms. You probably have too a number of times, bleeding, broken bones, kid stuff, stomach, whatever. And it's like you just sit for hours and you're like, oh, come on. I walk in and they're like, hey, what's, what's going on? And I go, chest pain. They're like, chest pain! And like all of a sudden, you know, there's just 60 people around me just ripping clothes off and throwing me on a bed and like, you know, you know putting all these sticky things on me and doing all this stuff. And I, all of a sudden I'm like, now I'm freaking out again. And so my blood pressure, you know, the lady's like, is your blood pressure usually like 300 over seven? I'm like, I don't know, but that sounds bad. She's like, yeah, it's totally bad. And uh, like, calm down, everybody stop freaking me out. And so they're, you know, pulling blood and, and giving me medicine. And, and again, everything just sort of calms down. So the initial EKG comes back fine, blood draw fine. But they say to me, listen, the heart, the way it works there's kind of this six to eight hour window with cardiac stuff that we have to keep an eye on you. So we really want you to stay the night. We want you to do the stress test and a couple other things. We just need to absolutely rule out that there's just not something wrong with your heart. So I say, okay. Um, all right. So we, you know, they check me in and uh, we just kind of go through this, this whole series. And, and it was just this unbelievable thing, just all these incredible people coming around and just really just teaching me about the heart and kind of what's going on and, and how your, your heart releases these enzymes if you're having, you know, a cardiac episode and it can kind of let your body know what's going on. And this woman came in and she did a, a heart echo, which is, um, it's like an ultrasound for your heart. And so she, you know, puts the, the wand thing on my chest and I can see on this screen my heart. I mean, it was unbelievable. Believable. Just one of the most amazing experiences, just sitting here watching on the screen, just watching my heart beating and seeing the valves open and close. And she's kind of explaining to me what's happening and what we're seeing and what, what she's looking for. And, and so then they, they take me and they, they you know, do the stress test thing, which is you know, where they um, put you on a treadmill and they, they, they make you run, um, which is just my favorite thing in the world to do. Um, <laughs> And they're like, you need to get your, your heart rate, you know, up to like 153 or something. And it took a long time to do that. And so she, the lady's like, so how's your chest? I'm like, my chest is fine, but my legs are about to fall off. We're going to have to do something here. So we, we, get to the, we get through all the stuff and everything checks out fine. So bottom line, my heart, my heart is fine. I don't have any major heart issue, really any heart issue. Uh, they put me on some blood pressure medicine and, and I'm evaluating just some things in my life, stress and rest and, and taking care of all that stuff. But my heart, praise God, is totally fine. But there was this moment in the midst of all this and, and in the process of this and learning about the heart, this nurse said something. It was really similar to what my doctor friend said to me on the phone, but it's something that just absolutely struck me. Absolutely struck me. She, she said, you really only get one chance with your heart. It's an amazing thing that gives your body warning signs, but if you aren't paying attention, you can miss your window and your life will never be the same again. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. 
Another version of Scripture says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And as I'm looking at this picture of my physical heart on the screen, I'm seeing this amazing thing just pumping blood through my system. And I'm just getting this unbelievable picture about how this is the, this is the deal. This is the command center. It is happening right here. And if this heart dies, it's over. Now, that's a physical part. What we're talking about here in Proverbs and what we're talking about in this passage is our spiritual heart, our soul, which will go on for eternity. And Scripture gives us so much to think about our spiritual heart, and we need to guard it because it is the wellspring of life. Everything flows from it, meaning that we can do major, major damage if you are not taking care of it, if you're not watching it. It will come at a cost. And much like the nurse said to me, it's this amazing thing that is sending off signals to you. It's informing you about the things that are going on in your life. And if you are not paying attention to it, you may miss your window and your life will never, ever be the same. And so what Jesus is calling us to, when he's saying, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart, what he's communicating to us is, hey, listen, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, if you've desired and wanted her sexually, you've committed the sin. And what that should be for us is a very quick rise to the surface, warning sign that, uh uh-oh, something is wrong. Something is wrong. See, a couple of weeks ago, I felt a chest pain and it went away and I just said, oh, it's a fluke, I'm fine. Wednesday night, it came on again, it came on a little bit stronger, but you know what, I, got, I calmed down, I got control of it, it was fine. Thursday morning, it happened again and I, I've got to get a handle on this, I need to figure out what's going on. And see, the truth is, you and I do not know when it's going to come crashing down, but it will come crashing down. So if your heart is telling you, if your heart is indicating to you that you have something going on, you have to do something about it. You have to pay attention to these signals. When it comes to lust and the desires of the heart, I don't know where you find yourself sitting here today, but I can tell you that sin is directly related to the condition of your heart. Sin is directly related to the condition of your heart. Maybe you've had a few moments, a few wake-up calls. Maybe you've had a sense that things aren't going well and you need to do something about it. You need to take action. You need to take action. The struggle that you are sitting in here right now, here today, take a moment and just let the rest of that movie play out for you. Where is this taking you? What's the trajectory of this thing? How is this story going to end? And see, here's the twisted thing about you and about me is we have thousands and thousands and thousands of examples and thousands of years of history that will tell us how these stories, how these movies will end. But we excuse ourselves and we go, ah, that's not going to happen to me. I've got this. I've got this under control. And yet, What Jesus is calling us to is a very critical, urgent action. Jesus gives us a pretty graphic picture here. Let's look back. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Seriously, has anybody seen the band yet, like, coming back? No? They're not, still not coming back? Okay. Gouge your eye out. Cut off your arm. Our, your whole body will be thrown into hell. What is Jesus talking? Is he really talking about mutilation, amputation? Is that really what he's encouraging? Physical mutilation? No, he's not. Because if you only pluck out one eye, you still have another eye that's left to lust and to sin, right? What he's saying here is he's using really strong language to make an urgent point. And he's talking about this serious need for action, potentially some painful action. There's another word in Scripture that that says flee from sexual immorality. You find yourself in moments of temptation. You find yourself in in moments of feeling like, "Uh uh-oh, this thing's thing's heating up. Flee. Get out. Absolutely. Run. Get out of the room. Shut the conversation down. Turn off the phone. Turn off the computer. End the conversation. End the relationship. Whatever you need to do, flee and get out. But... You need to come back and you need to do the hard work of digging into your heart and addressing what is it that's going on. Sin comes from your heart. You must, whether you're finding yourself struggling with lustful thoughts or or physically adulterous actions, you must expose it. You must dig it out. You must get down to the root and find out what is going on immediately. Just like my friend said to me, if you were standing in front of me, I would take you to the ER room right now. Consider yourself a candidate for emergency surgery. You must remove the places in your heart where sin grows and matures. You must remove the places in your heart where sin grows and matures. Take Harvey Weinstein as a very extreme example in this. This sin, this pattern, this whole system that he's been hiding and he's had systems of people enabling him and empowering him to keep hiding it, keep it just under wraps in darkness in a place that it can just fester and it can grow into something absolutely terrible and deadly. But now that he's exposed, now that light has been brought in, game over. It's over. His power, his system of enablement, gone. And we see a little bit more each day of things in his life that are being taken away from him. The light has come in and has flooded and it has stripped the darkness of its power and its ability to keep festering and growing. And friends, you and I know this just feels like the hardest, scariest, most terrifying thing in the world when it relates to us. I imagine many of us are sitting here today with a crippling fear coming over you at the thought of exposing your sin. It won't be easy. It will be hard. It may leave a scar. You may feel like at the end of the day, you would rather just gouged out your eye and cut off your hand. But how much better for you to stand before God And to be able to say and show that you committed yourself to the very painful, hard work of being changed and transformed into the person that he created you to be. 
rather than letting sin and its devastating effects take root and fester and completely take over the rest of your life. Well, what about this throw your body into to hell stuff? What does that mean? Are, are, are we at risk of hell if we're caught up in these sins? Well, for anyone in bondage to these sins, you know. You know the weight and the consequences that you are carrying can wreak havoc on your life and the lives of others. And it can feel like the consequences of hell are pressing in. But if you've trusted Jesus with your life, if you have asked him to forgive you of your sins and you've trusted him for that forgiveness and it is your intention to live your life in a way that brings glory and honor to him, then your sins are paid for. Past, present, and future. Christ died and paid the penalty. It's the beautiful reminder that we just celebrated together in taking communion. Even though we deserve it, we are found not guilty by his saving grace. It's the miracle of the gospel. If your faith is in him, you are forgiven. Now, you may have been a part of some things and your patterns of sin could have caused damage and pain in other relationships where you need to seek forgiveness. You need to take steps. And it doesn't mean you can make everything right. It doesn't mean you can fix the relationship and restore everything. But you can offer forgiveness. Now, if you've not trusted Jesus with your life, if you have not given your life to him and trusted him for the forgiveness of your sin, it's not just lustful sin. It's not just adulterous sin. It's any sin has you in danger of eternal consequences of separation from God. And so I would beg of you, please, please, please know that God loves you and he's pursuing you and he accepts you for who you are, where you're at. He is not looking for you to clean up the whole mess. He wants you to come to him as you are. Give him your trust, seek forgiveness, and he'll work with you towards a path of healing and forgiveness. Finally, if you claim to be a believer and you're knowingly, willingly, habitually participating in these sins, and and catch this because it's so important, and you have a callousness in your heart, you have turned off the Spirit, you're not interested in hearing what the Spirit has to say to you, you've thrown up your hands and you're saying, I don't care, don't care. Don't want to hear it anymore. Spirit, don't want to hear it. Community, don't want to hear it. If that's where you're at, then yes, I'm concerned for your safety and the condition of your heart. And I would encourage you and challenge you to take a deep look at that and to find yourself back at the cross. So I beg you, please, 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 please guard your heart. Please pay attention to the warning signs. Quickly take steps towards emergency surgery if you need it and do the work that you need to do to make things right. So as we wrap up, what does this look like? I think it starts with confession. It starts with a confession to God and just opening up the reality of your heart to Him. I would also challenge you to confess with someone, a trusted friend, a trusted family member, someone who's in your life within 24 hours. If God is moving in you right now, do not wait. Open this thing up. Allow light to come in 
and squelch the darkness. Second, I would encourage community. I would encourage you to be looking and seeking and finding people that you can journey with, that you can begin to share pieces of your story, and you can begin to open up a little bit more and more, and I guarantee you, you are going to find you're not alone. You're not. And there are people who will be able to look across at you and say, me too. Me too. If you're in over your head and you're saying, this thing's out of control my life is spinning out of control and, and you need help, we would love to help you. We have a ton of just amazing counselors that we work with and we work to help refer people to. If you need help, please ask. For some of us here today, we need to step up on behalf of a loved one, of a friend, of a family member who needs a hard but loving conversation from us. Just imagine if someone had stepped up in Harvey Weinstein's life in a significant way, the amount of pain and damage that could have possibly, potentially been avoided. Who needs you to to step up and ask some hard questions? Some of us are sitting here today and we're holding pieces, pieces that have been left by the people who have committed these sins and they have just wrecked our life and we're victims of some of their actions and their poor choices. And I want you to know, I am so sorry. And more than that, God is so sorry. He loves you and he is weeping and hurting with you and it's not what he wants for you. And I too would encourage you to seek out community that can walk with you, that can begin to help you carry some of the burden of the pieces that you're carrying. And again, if we can help with that, please ask. Please ask. Friends, this is a hard conversation. Not fun. And yet so, so critical. So, so important. And what I know and what I've found in my life is that Jesus is in the business of restoration and healing of hearts, if we let him. I'm going to take a moment here to just close us in prayer. Uh, Before I do, I'm going to give just 30 seconds of silence and let you just say whatever you need to say to God. If it's a confession, if it's a, God, I, I need you, I need to give my life and trust to you. Jesus, I need the forgiveness of my sins for the first time. Take a moment to say that prayer. Then I'll pray for us to close this out. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for Jesus Christ who came to the earth, who walked in our shoes, and then who paid it all for the price of our sins. Lord, may we all 
lean into that forgiveness and that grace that we can find in him and him alone. And God, for the temptations that we face, for the sin that we find in our lives, God, may we do the very quick work of examining our heart, of unrooting habits, of unrooting patterns, of ending relationships that need to be ended, of doing some of the hard and painful work that needs to be done. Give us courage in that, I pray. Help us to find community in that, that we wouldn't walk in this alone. And God, through it all, may our lives, broken and imperfect and a bit messy, reflect your glory to the world around us. In Christ's name, amen.